from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. So do you find yourself just longing sometimes now that you're home? Man, I wish I had the threat of the military police. <laughs> well, you know, you got to be careful with, <laughs> with that since, uh, you know, the military is a much different world That's than the civilian sure. world. Yeah, so. people here would not so, react well to yeah, that, let's face it. Right. And so in, instead of getting into the debate of whether, you know, somebody you know, is mandated to wear a mask or not. We, we stick to the science that says, wearing a mask prevents spread of infection. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last summer, we said goodbye to Dr. Alex Garza. The commander of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force is also in the U.S. Army Reserve. And in July, he was deployed to Kuwait. Dr. Garza spent four months overseas, three in Kuwait. And he's now back in St. Louis and is now co-leading the pandemic task force. And he joins us now to tell us a bit about what he learned in Kuwait and how that just might apply to what's happening now in St. Louis. Dr. Alex Garza, welcome back. Hi, Sarah. It's great to be back. Thanks for inviting me out. So I have to note, in our last interview, you joked that you'd given strict orders for the pandemic to be over <laughs> by the time you got back. Did you jinx us? Uh, yeah, I may have. Uh, I, uh, you know, those orders were not followed. So, but uh, the environment, you know, the conditions on the ground though changed. So it's 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 understandable. Yeah, I mean, is it kind of depressing to be back in it? You know, I'm sure you're happy to be home, but this situation here is a pretty frustrating right. one for a lot of people right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it really was my hope to come back to St. Louis and have this, you know, mostly contained, have it be more of an endemic disease more so than what we're dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not surprising, though, to see these different variants popping up and and, um, you know, disrupting what uh, we thought was going to be our glide path. And Mm -hmm. so it's it's although it's not something that we wanted. Um, it's also not something that uh, we didn't expect either. So as you say, there's a lot of disruption going on right now. I feel like everybody I know, their Christmas plans have changed dramatically in the last couple days. Yeah. You know, people seem to be testing positive left and right. How worried yeah. are you right now? Uh, you know, I, I'm uh, significantly worried. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, balance the uh, the concern with with trying to make sure everybody can enjoy their holiday too. But you know, there's a there's a couple of things that are concerning. So one, of course, is the Omicron variant, the Omicron variant um, that is going to continue to rise. Mm-hmm. And then the the second piece is is the um, the vaccination status of the majority of people is is still pretty low. And mm-hmm. when you think about the protection from the variant, meaning you have to get that booster shot, that draws it down even further. Um, and so, and we're, our hospitals are pretty full right now. And so if you combine all of those things, it, it uh, you know, it's concerning. It's very concerning. So people who are vaccinated right now, who've gotten that booster even, um, which I know mm-hmm. at this point we're all supposed to be getting that booster, right. have gotten that booster, um, should they be personally worried for their own health at this point? 
Uh, you know, it, it doesn't guarantee you that you're not going to be infected with the variant. Uh, but what it does uh, provide you is that added layer of protection that you're not going to get severely ill or end up in the hospital or things like that. So, so I think it, it does bring um, some comfort if you have had that booster. There was a story out today about Moderna releasing their results about, um, you know, the, the plus up in antibodies that you get from the booster. So I think it's, it's good news. Um, but this variant is very challenging. Um, and so, uh, so it, you never want to underestimate it. So when we had Dr. Dunnigan on, your your uh, co-leader now of the Metropolitan mm-hmm. Pandemic Task Force, he was with us, I believe, just a few weeks ago. At that point, we were talking about the fact that there was some potential optimism in that even though Omicron is spreading very yeah. quickly, that maybe we're hoping it might be milder. What's the status on that? Yeah, I think the the jury is still out on that. Uh, and the reason why I say that is is most of that was based off of South African data. Uh, but their population is very different uh, from the U.S. Uh, population, meaning it's mostly younger. The majority of their population had already been exposed to um, COVID-19, and so they had some sort of antibody reserve. Um, if you look at the European data and the data coming out of England, they're saying that it's not necessarily that much different than the Delta variant, mm. which means equal amount of severity, you know, uh, people are going to be ending up in the hospital. And so, so uh, I, would, I would not bank on this being milder. Um, you know, from a planning perspective, I think we have to plan on it being as equally severe as Delta. And then if it doesn't turn out that way, that's great. Uh, but um, but uh, I, I think that's still an unanswered question right now. So the hope is we could be pleasantly surprised this time rather than get our hopes up and have them dashed. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that data coming out of Europe does not look promising. So... Um, I'm concerned. Oh, boy. So we said we'd talk a bit about your time overseas. Um, mm-hmm. You were dealing with Kuwait in the middle of a pandemic. How was handling what was going on there at, at the base in Kuwait? How yeah. is that different than handling what's happening here in St. Louis? Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. So first off, I was I was working in the emergency department at the at the hospital there in, in Kuwait, in uh, Camp Arafjan, Kuwait. Um, it's a base of about 10,000 people. It's it's a big logistics base in, in Kuwait. Um, so I think that the difference is, is how you how you can kind of see public health measures um, really carried out in a very contained environment versus in a more sort of open environment that are, you know, is is in the civil society in the United States. And, and the reason why I bring that up is, you know, there's a, there, of course, there's a lot of debate about how much do public health measures impact spread of disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but this base in Kuwait sort of offered almost an ideal sort of real life laboratory on, on how you could judge effectiveness of public health measures. And so I think that was really the my big takeaway um, from observing how COVID was circulating uh, on this army base. So what happened there? I mean, as you're saying, when you put public health measures down and, and there's the army, there's mm-hmm. the chain of command, people have to follow them. Did did that make a difference? Correct. I think it did. Um, and so, so let me give you an example. So when I arrived there, really, we had just... Uh, gotten through the the big wave of, of COVID-19 infections at the camp. And, and it was beginning to trickle down. So so when the wave started, though, there were a couple of things in place. There was no mandatory masking uh, for for the public, so the, for the soldiers and for the contractors and things like that. 
And so people were, you know, allowed to circulate freely. And, and also there was a pretty poor uptake of vaccine, too, because it wasn't mandatory at that time. Um, so once that wave started, the base commander said, well, we're going to go to all masking now. And so you had to wear a mask whenever you were indoors, you know, whether that was at the dining facility, at the gym, at the, at the PX, which is, which is the sort of shopping store, things like that. And these were, of course, as you would expect, those are all rigidly enforced. And so uh, I took a picture of, of the sign on the gym that said, hey, you have to wear a mask uh, coming in here. And if you don't, we're going to call the MPs. So there was like no joking around that you were going to wear a mask. And by and large, everybody did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would go to the to the gym. We would, you know, run on the treadmill, do the stepper, do everything that we wanted to do. You just had to wear a mask and, and everybody you know, uh, followed followed that directive. And did that make a difference in how, uh, you know, you said there had been a spike in cases at this point. Did it stop the spike? Yeah, it did. So, so one other point I, I want to throw in there too, which is this quarantine and isolation, which is another public health tool. Um, so in, in, when when you're on this base, if you tested positive for COVID, you were directed to go to a, an isolation facility. And there's, you know, there's no if ands, or buts about it. Uh, you, you basically, once you tested positive, they, somebody came and picked you up, you, you know, and then you went over to this facility where you're going to be quarantined and isolated. Uh, contact tracing, again, uh, brought you into isolation. And so there was a very defined, um, well-scoped quarantine and isolation procedure. And so those two things brought those number of cases, you know, down from in the hundreds down into, you know, less than 10 by the time Mm -hmm. I left. Um, So so to me, that said, yes, this is how public health measures do affect circulation of, of virus in the community. So this suggests that these measures would work if they were being done with this level of, of rigidity. That's obviously not happening here in Missouri. Right. Do you think there's something civilians can learn from what you saw, even with the current political landscape we have here? Well, you know, what, what we've said before with wearing masks and quarantine isolation is it, it does take a high level of participation to have its maximum effect. Um, so we know from modeling data and, and looking at some other studies that it does take um, a significant percentage of the population to be doing these public health measures for them to have that maximum effect. I think what we see in some of the civilian studies about wearing masks, things like that, are they're a partial contribution because there's there's never 100% participation. Uh, but this was a good example of when you do have um, very good participation, uh, that it can impact directly the transmission of the virus and control the pandemic spread in a population. So right now in Missouri, there is so much confusion about what public health departments are even allowed to do, what Mm -hmm. school districts are allowed to do. The lawyers are having a field day. Everybody else is on the sidelines going, you know, what's my role here? Do you feel like the pandemic task force can help clear up all this confusion? Well, um, I I hope so. But I I guess the the way that we would think about clearing up the confusion is we try and stick with the science and the facts, um, regardless of what the political winds are doing to everything else. And so uh, instead of getting into the debate of whether, you know, somebody, you know, is mandated to wear a mask or not, we, we stick to the science that says, 
wearing a mask prevents spread of infection. Regardless of if you're mandated to do it or if you do it voluntarily, these are the right things to do to help prevent spread of the pandemic. And so, um, so we, we try not to get too involved in, in the, the political or the policy side of it, although we you know, can influence policy. Uh, but we try and stick to what is important, which is the science. So do you find yourself just longing sometimes now that you're home? Man, I wish I had the threat of the military police. <laughs> well, you know, you got to be careful with, <laughs> with that since, uh, you know, the military is a much different world That's than the civilian sure. world. Yeah, so, people here would not so, react well to yeah, that, let's face it. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. You know, the the other thing, Sarah, that I wanted to throw in there is, is right around, I believe it was September, was when the DOD came out with their vaccine mandate. And so the vaccinations... Um, took off as well. And so to me, this was also, again, the, the perfect sort of combination of very aggressive public health measures with increasing your vaccination rate. By the time I left there, I was told our vaccination rate was close to 90%. And, and so you combined that, those public health measures with that high vaccination rate, and it was uh, about three weeks before I left, uh, the command said, hey, we can take our masks off now which was greeted with um, a lot of, of enthusiasm amongst mm. the soldiers. Well, boy, it's, it's interesting to hear about just that very different situation there on that military base. I, I wonder mm-hmm. if there are indeed some lessons for Missouri here. I know you're hoping that that will take right. what you're, the example you're presenting. Right. Well, what I've told people is, is, you know, we've been at this for almost two years, so we know what works. These public health measures work and vaccination works. So now it's really just a choice of all of us to do those things to get us out of the pandemic. Well, Dr. Alex Garza, I want to thank you for joining us and and sharing that experience. Sure. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Aaron. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.